right. Good morning, beloved. You know, last week we had uh, 60, what was it, 10, 60 some odd people here. Incredible uh, to see when everyone is doing uh, well and healthy. Uh, the turnout, the, the church is, is growing too, and I'm very thankful for the uh, new faces and those um, tuning in on the live stream. Welcome. I know there's a people for various reasons um, that are able to tune in on the live stream if they're sick or, or if they're traveling or away, so it's a, a great privilege to be able to share the gospel with you while afar. Um, this morning, I want to invite you to open your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. If you're new with us, we have been in a series called Hope in the Midst of Suffering, a verse-by-verse study through um, Peter's first epistle. However, as I mentioned uh, earlier this week, Pastor Rick was scheduled to preach for the next two weeks, as he does every three months, or at least that was the plan until he got sick on Friday. So, Dad, hope you're feeling well. I believe they're tuning in this morning. So, uh, instead of hastily throwing together a sermon from 1 Peter, I decided to revisit a section of scripture that I believe will bring us some incredible encouragement, and it's just really a wonderful text. So turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 22 to 26 today. And we'll start by reading these verses once through, and then I'll give you some of the context as we look at how the Apostle Paul balanced living on earth responsibly while at the same time longing for heaven ultimately. And you'll see that outline on the back of your bulletin. Let's begin this morning. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 22, and this is the word of the living and true God. Paul writes, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. The title of our message today is Earthborn but Heaven Bound. Earthborn but Heaven Bound. We live on the earth, but we are longing for our eternal place in heaven. And when life can get difficult and sometimes um, through trials we might say things uh, like, Lord, uh, how much longer do I got to be here for? Um, or why can't we just bypass the rest of this and you come already, I'm, I'm ready. Like we saw the Apostle John at the end of Revelation, Lord, Come quickly. I'm ready. Anyone else ever feel like that, Lord, I'm ready to go? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to go, Lord. Well, believe it or not, the Apostle Paul also shared in this uh, very real conflict. Um, he was stuck in between uh, two worlds, if you will. Currently, at the time of this epistle, Paul's been in prison for maybe up to four years. He's facing an impending trial. He doesn't know which way the verdict's going to go. 
He could be acquitted, which would mean he'd be free to go back to preaching and planting churches, which he was called and commissioned by Jesus to do. Or he could be found guilty and ultimately be executed. And yet, as you read this letter, you will find there was absolutely zero chance that his current situation was going to steal even a drop, an ounce of his joy. This is the letter of joy. If, if you need to be encouraged, read you some book of Philippians. To Paul, his imprisonment was actually an opportunity. As we read earlier in chapter 1, verse 12, he says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And though he doesn't know which way his trial is going to go, he does see his possible release from prison as another opportunity to labor for the Lord. And yet with all of that, he also knows that heaven is just uh, so much better. So much better than any opportunity or experience he could have on earth. And he expresses that tension in these verses. So as we dig into our text to think about how do you balance living on earth responsibly, that is being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, but longing for heaven ultimately. That's something I want you to consider as we go through this. And as you consider that, I want to show you three examples that Paul gives us that express his attitudes as he went through this. Number one, we're going to see Paul is wrestling with the predicament. Number two, he's wanting to depart and be at home with the Lord. And then number three, he's willing to remain if that's God's will for him. Wrestling, wanting, and willing. So let's begin by looking at number one as Paul is wrestling with this predicament. Notice what he says in verse 22. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. Now, let me begin by saying that though Paul is a fallen man just as we are, there are very few in the church today who are so completely and selflessly sold out to Jesus Christ as the Apostle Paul is. To the point where death is of no consequence for him. He doesn't worry whether he would live or if he would die. To the point where attacks against his reputation are of absolutely no consequence to him. To the point where beatings and the constant um, persecution that he faced as a minister of the gospel is of, of absolutely no consequence to the Apostle Paul. That doesn't bother him a bit. He is really a living illustration of everything embodied in Christ's words, take up your cross and follow me. Paul lived this out, as did the rest of the apostles. But here in Paul was a man who was certainly willing to bear his cross. Here is a man who couldn't care less honestly what happened to him, what people said about him, or whether he lived or died. That is a tremendous level of spiritual commitment, and in some ways I would guess practically unheard of today. 
we live in a far too materialistic, self-centered, self-serving, not self-sacrificing day. People today live for a lot of things, but very few focus on what matters most, never mind are willing to sacrifice something for Christ of significance. And so the message this morning speaks directly to a very deep need in each of our lives. There are the honest, these are the honest reflections of a truly suffering servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, I've been in prison a while now, life has been pretty tough, but at the same time, Roman guards are getting saved. Christians, as we read earlier, are becoming more emboldened to preach the gospel. The gospel, verse 12 of chapter 1, is being furthered. So in all that, God is being glorified. But, once again, Paul is also a man who lived, a, a real man who lived 2,000 years ago and has suffered for many years for the sake of the gospel. And so he's wrestling with these thoughts. And here's a part of him that's thinking, if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. There's still um, more to do for the kingdom of God. But then again, I'm ready to go home and be with Christ. Which would be so much better. What shall I choose? I cannot tell. Now, Paul knows that God is sovereign. Paul knows God is going to do whatever God wants to do. The trouble is, Paul has no idea what that is. He doesn't know if it's the Lord's will that he stays on earth or that he's going to die and go home to be with the Lord in heaven. So he says, what I shall choose, I cannot tell. And this word tell is a very Pauline word. It's the word norizo. It means to reveal. So what I shall choose, I can't reveal. I, I really can't say what I would choose. It's another way of saying, I can't say it because God hasn't said it to me. <laughs> Since I know, I'll let you know. He hasn't revealed it to me, so I really can't say which I would choose. And what Paul is saying is this. I want what God wants. When God lets me know, that's what I'm, I want. Whatever God wants, once God reveals what he wants, then I'll say, that's what I want to. <laughs> Notice what else he says uh, right there at the beginning of verse 23. He says, for I am hard pressed between the two. Our uh, English today, we might say I'm between, between a, a rock and a hard place, right? That's sort of the same idea. The word hard pressed uses, describes a journey of a traveler whose pathway is getting narrower and narrower as he progresses down that pathway. Maybe like through a cannon. And um, they're walking through and it's getting narrower and narrower and those walls are getting harder and harder. He's getting hard pressed between these two walls. On one side of me, I would love to just finish the race and to go be with Christ. On the other side, there's you, the the church in Philippi and your needs in, in your situation. So I'm caught in this, this canon of emotion. And whenever our life gets sort of confining, whenever the walls of our experience in life start to close in on us, whenever options start being taken off of the table, 
that's when we tend to struggle. You see, options ease our burden. The lack of options increase your burdens. So we can become hard-pressed. For you, this can come up with a, a sudden serious illness for yourself or someone you love. A sudden loss of income. It could be even more difficult, uh, the loss of a close friend or spouse or a falling out of a significant relationship or tension with that, that family member that you love. And when those things happen in our life, we can feel that tension and my options are fewer than they were before. And we're usually left then needing to make a, a decision or a choice on what to do. And it's always good to ask yourself this, do I want to live for God's glory or do I want to do what's easiest and live for my comfort? Do I want to do, do I want to take maybe what might be the hard road, what might cost me something, might be a sacrifice in order to live in a godly way and, and to put Christ first in my life? Or do I want to do maybe what's convenient or what is fleshly or earthly and what would be more comfortable for me? Here we see Paul wrestling with two righteous decisions, I, I would say. He's suspended between two worlds. He's this in-between state. I'm on earth facing possible execution, which would take me to heaven. But if I were to live, this would mean fruit for my labor, and it would be better for you, the church, and Philippi. And so he's wrestling with this predicament. Here's the second attitude I want to focus on, and this is kind of a continuation of the first. As Paul is wanting to depart and to go be with the Lord. This is really at the heart of, of Paul's um, wish, if you will. He, he desires ultimately to go be with his Lord. In fact, he says this in verse 23. He says, for I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Now, I want to drill down a little bit in this verse, and I want you to notice how Paul describes his future possible death. Notice the words he uses. First of all, he says that his death is going to be a departure. He says, having a desire to depart. To depart. Um, let me tell you a little something about this word depart, because once I do, I think you'll appreciate the depth and the richness of this. The word depart that he uses here is the verb analuo, and it means to, to break up, um, to unloosen, or to undo. To break up, to unloosen, or to undo. And it was a word used by three groups of people in antiquity. Sailors used it, soldiers used it, and farmers used it. Sailors used this word when they were going from one port and sail to another, and they would unloosen the rope that was tied around a post that was set up at a dock. And once they unloosened it, the boat would then sail off to its destination. And I actually think that's what Paul has in mind when he writes in his last letter in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, and he says to Timothy, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. He was departing. Timothy, it's time for me to, to pull up the anchor, to unloosen the rope and to 
set sail home. In fact, I think that's why so many of the great old hymns is based on this thought of sort of gathering together on that, that distant shore in heaven. One of us, I'll fly away. And uh, we sing that, and it says, Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. So that was one way it was used, but this word was also common for um, soldiers to use. During battles, soldiers would, of course, have a base camp, and when it was time for them to move from one campsite to another or to um, pack up and to, to get ready to go back home, they would break up camp. And I like thinking about our lives that way. We're just sort of camping out here. We don't want our, our, um, our, our roots to get too far down in this earth. And if we're camping, we don't want to drive those stakes so far into the ground that we can't get them to lift up. We're just camping out. The earth is our campground. We're just a passing through. First Peter, you remember from our study, he uses words like, you're exiles, strangers, sojourners. You're just temporary residents here on earth. Your permanent abode is in heaven. And one day it'll be time for us to, to break up camp, put away that tent, and to move on to a new heaven and a new earth. You know, growing up, I loved camping. In fact, uh, I loved camping so much that back in 1993, I spent six months camping on the two islands of New Zealand. And uh, I went and hiked and camped for the entire trip. But you know what? When I was done with the six months camping, I was done. Somebody a couple weeks later asked me, hey, do you want to go camping? And I'm like, nope, I'm good. I'm good. Because, you know, when you go camping, oh, for the first couple of days, weeks, months, it's a great time. You, there's nothing like finding that great spot and, and setting up the camp and, and put your tent up and you got the campfire going and you get everything all set. But eventually after a couple of weeks, well, everything starts to smell like smoke. All your clothes are covered in pitch. You begin to stink kind of freshly. The ground's not so soft anymore. Your back begins to hurt and you're sick of that food. So you start longing for something permanent, a bed, a home, the comforts of a oh, warm shower. And then the tent, of course, that tent that you bring along, if you uh, were like me, I used mine a lot and I had it for years, and you ought to see it. It still works, uh, but you can tell it's pretty old. The threads are all starting to come all undone on it. The, the flaps don't um, quite flap right anymore. In fact, it's a great description for our earthly bodies, those tents. This morning when I got up to get ready for church, I looked in the mirror and I, I saw this tent and, and the flaps weren't flapping quite right anymore. And, <laughs> and those loose threads were hanging out. And I go, yep, that's a tent I'm looking at right there. It's been used well, but really it's just a tent. And, and Paul, Paul actually talks about our body this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. He says, we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. Second Corinthians uh, chapter 5 is a great section of scripture 
But the problem is we live in a world where everyone seems to be preoccupied with their earthly tents. You know, how does my tent look? I mean, okay for a tent. But don't be surprised when that nice tent of yours doesn't look so great next year, the year after, the year after that. They start to get wear down. But um, we have a tendency in this culture to get so preoccupied with our tents and the color of our threads. And is the tent too big or is the tent too small? I mean, we are pretty preoccupied, so preoccupied, even to the point of death. I've got to share this story. I don't know if you've ever gone to a funeral and to an open casket. And certainly normally any time that you're at a funeral and open casket, it's a very somber time. And some people are certainly celebrating their loved ones in heaven. But usually people are fresh off um, missing and loving uh, the tragic loss of their loved one. But there was a time where there was an older gentleman who had expected to go, was excited to go. And he said, don't nobody be crying at my funeral. I want it to be a celebration. And so he dies, and he had an open casket, and all the people, if you've ever gone, get in a line, and they start to, to go by it, and they look at, at the man um, in the open casket. And I'll never forget, so I walked by uh, the person in front of me, and he looked back at me, and he says, man, he looks good. I said, he looks dead. He looked better a month ago. <laughs> but, you know, people can be so preoccupied. The guy's dead. What do you mean he looks good? So Paul says there's going to be a departure, all right? And when that happens, I'm going to unloosen that rope and set sail. I'm, I'm breaking this tent down, and I'm moving on. And then I said it's also used not only by sailors um, and uh, soldiers, but by farmers as well. And it used by farmers as um, the animal would have a yoke on its neck. And you all know what a yoke is, right? It's a controlling device that was um, used for the cattle for, for ste steering and controlling your farm animal. At the end of the workday, when the yoke was lifted off the animal, the term that they used was anala'o. And, and when the job was done, the yoke was taken off. And don't you just love that Jesus said this then in Matthew chapter 11, when he said in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Let me control you. Let me steer you. I'll be in charge, not you. And then he says at the end of the verse, and you will find rest for your souls. We're all looking for rest. And Jesus said, you will find rest in me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Paul is wanting to depart, but it's more than just a departure. Death is also an encounter. Look what it says again in verse 23. I really love this part. He says, For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be what? What does your Bible say? And be with Christ. Now this is the part that makes death so sweet for the Christian. Alright? It's not the departure that makes death sweet. It's the arrival that makes death so sweet. It's the encounter that we'll have with Christ. There was a story about a, a younger preacher. And when he spoke about heaven in his earlier days, he'd always speak about it in terms of the stuff that was there. He'd talk about the, the angels and, and um, the golden streets and the river of life. And 
Um, he got his cues from the book of Revelation. And so he was speaking about it correctly as far as the text goes. Um, but he always talked about it based on what would be there until tragically one day his daughter died. And then a few years after that, his brother died. And then um, he had become an older preacher after these years had gone by. And instead of talking about heaven, not in terms of what's there, but he started speaking in terms of who's there. And for the believer who's there aren't just family and friends that you'll be reunited with, and you will. But even above and beyond that, there will be a joy of that intimate face-to-face -face encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He's the highlight of heaven, I assure you. Heaven's main attraction isn't going to be the stuff that's there. Heaven's main attraction is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He'll be there, and you'll be there with him. Heaven will display God's glory undiminished, full screen, and the awe and reverence factor will be off the scales. It will be immense. Listen now, Jesus describes heaven to his disciples when he was preparing them for his leaving. In John 14, chapter, in John chapter 14, verse 3, he said, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. It's the encounter that Jesus was talking about. I will receive you to myself. Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17 wrote, We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Again, Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8 says, To be absent from the body, finish it, is to be present with the Lord. It's all about the encounter with him. So it will be a departure, yes. It will be an encounter, and it will be much, much better. Look at verse 23 again. Paul says, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ. So that's the departure and encounter, which is far better. This is what he means um, a couple of verses back when he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Um, when he says, which is far better, he's actually stacking up words here. So the literal translation would be something like, which is much more better. I want to depart and be with Christ, which is much more very better. Which is bad, but good Greek and great theology. He says, as good as I can describe it, it's even better than that. It's just awesome. Now, Paul would know. Because Paul had an experience where he was close to death and he says he was taken up to the third heaven. I don't know if you remember this. This is a little short clip in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And he's talking about it. And he says, I was caught up to the third heaven. And I saw and heard things inexpressible, unlawful, he said, for, for a man to utter. And I've always held a sort of a small grudge against Paul for that because he saw heaven he experienced something in heaven for a moment, and it's like, 
Paul, give us something. And he's like, nah, it was just so good, I can't say anything about it. <laughs> You're just going to have to wait and see. And so he doesn't. He just goes on to the next subject. And I'm like, man. But he would know, and so it was so astonishing that it couldn't even be told. Uh, by the way, there's no soul sleep in the Bible. There's no soul sleep in heaven. There's no intermediate state. There's no purgatory. There's no limbo or jimbo. Or to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Absent, present. Okay? The body goes in the ground. You, the true you, the spiritual you, is present with the Lord. Yes. Amen. So think of what that meant to Paul. He would, he would never again have to experience the, the stench and the filth and the, the awful stuff that he experienced in all of these prisons. He would never feel the, the whipping and the scourgings across his back from the Roman whip again. He'd never hear the sneers of all his detractors, even proclaiming Christian detractors who talked about him in a way that made his incar in incarceration even worse. He'd never again be shackled to a, a Roman centurion. He would be with Christ, which is much more better. <laughs> so he's wrestling. He, he's wanting to go. But there's a third word, a third attitude. He is willing. He is willing to remain. If it is in God's will to stay so that he can be of service and love and, and serve the church of Philippi and, and other Christians, he is willing to stay. Um, look at verse 22 real quick, and then we'll jump down to verse um, 24. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Verse uh, 24. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all. He's, he's a southerner. And continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Christ Jesus by my coming to you again. Now, as we've seen, one of the, the main themes of of this book is joy, 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 joy. And I told you, he mentions this about 17 times throughout this four chapter book. But what's he saying here? It, it's not about my joy. It's about your joy. I'm willing to remain if I can add to your joy. I mean, this is the heart of Paul. This is the heart of Paul. First of all, by producing fruit. Verse 22, if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Verse 25, I shall remain and continue with y'all for your progress and joy of faith. Now, let me just say, here's the mark of a, a true, spiritual, godly man. A spiritual person is willing to put what he or she wants on pause if it means of being beneficial or fruitful 
for somebody else. Okay? What I really want to do is to be with Christ, which is far better. This is far better for me to be with Christ. Nevertheless, I am willing to put what I want on pause in order that I can be a blessing to others. I mean, this is the heart of Paul. This is the heart of Paul in service. Paul practiced what he preached. If we look at uh, Philippians, uh, the next chapter, chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. The chapter of humility, I like to say. He says in verse 3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. That's what the New King James said. Lowliness of mind, which is humility. Let each esteem or consider others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. That's what Paul told them that they ought to do. And in chapter 1, we see Paul practice what he preached. I'd rather die, pick up stakes, uh, set sail, and take off that yoke. Oh, that would be so much better. However, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Two ways he mentions fruitfulness and progress. Let's deal with fruitfulness there in verse uh, 22 first. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Fruitful labor is the work of the Lord, which the Holy Spirit always blesses. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 tells us, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And then look at this, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These are good deeds that God created for us to do in order to bring him glory. Think about that. Isn't that awesome? God prepared that beforehand for you to walk in. All right? This is what Paul meant in verse 21. For me to live is Christ. It's Christ. For me to die is to be with Christ. But for me to live is to serve Christ. Now, what is fruit? Fruit's a, a Christian term we see in Scripture. You should be fruitful, but what does that mean? What does it mean to be a fruitful uh, follower of Christ? Well, the New Testament speaks of fruit actually in a couple different ways. Number one, it talks about it in terms of winning converts to Christ. Sometimes it's referred to as fruit. Romans chapter 1, verse 13, I often plan to come to you that I might have some fruit among you just as among other Gentiles. Number two, fruit is also seen as holy living or um, godly character. Romans chapter 6, verse 22, Paul says, Having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and in the end everlasting life. The longer you are sanctified, the more fruitful you will become. A third way fruit is used is in giving, financially, or in giving your, your time or talents or work supporting the, the work of God. Romans chapter 15, Paul spoke of their contributions to the saints, and he calls it this fruit, this fruit being their, their 
um, financial contribution. And you see I'm giving you all of these because um, most preachers will just say, no, if you want to be fruitful, you gotta, you got to give money. <laughs> but there are a number of different ways that you can be fruitful. Uh, number four, good works is called fruit. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Pleasing him and being fruitful in every good work. And then finally, fruit is the fruit of our lips. Praise is actually called um, fruit in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Uh, a well-known verse, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto his name. Fruit is what your life produces. Is it good fruit or is it bad fruit? Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit. And so how do you tell if a Christian is a Christian by their fruit, by what comes from their lives? It's not what you claim. It's not the sticker on your, um, your bumper sticker on the car. It's by the fruit of your life. There's one other word I want to draw your attention to also in verse uh, 22. Philippians 1, verse 22. It's the second word, if, but if. And it's a small word, but it kind of sums up our future. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. And I think the point is clear. Life is tentative. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not even guaranteed to get to bed tonight. It's an if. And I know you might have some plans for your life. You might have plans for that new house or, or that new job or to go back to school. But the honest truth is, it's all an if. Really, you really don't know how long that you'll live. None of us do. There's no guarantees there. And so the point is, is since life then is so tentative, the time to bear fruit and to labor for Christ is now. The time is now. We're not guaranteed to, tomorrow. So that departure will be that much sweeter. So Paul wanted fruit. He was down for the fruit. But number two, he wanted progress. Paul cared about the progress of the gospel. And that's a word that you'll notice down there in verse 25. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for the progress and joy of faith. So what's on Paul's heart here? There is spiritual growth and joy in the, in the faith. All right, so if Paul moves on and goes to heaven, yes, all of his hassles are, are done on earth, but so is his effectiveness. He won't be able to win any more guards to Christ. His chains won't stimulate boldness anymore for the other Christian preachers. He won't be able to inspire other churches as he wrote all the prison epistles for us while he was in prison. He won't be able to plant any more churches. And knowing that, he says, I'm willing to, to postpone going to heaven if I can help others to grow here on earth for the sake of the gospel. And, you know, one thing you notice about Paul is he's always thinking about other people. This would be better for you if I stay. 
And that should be the passion for every brother or sister in Christ, but specifically those who feel that they're called to ministry. He writes to the Romans and says, I want to visit you because when I see you, I want to impart to you some spiritual gifts. And he's always thinking of others, and, and therein lies the secret to Paul's joy. He lived to glorify Jesus Christ and to help other people grow. And that's the passion on my heart every single day. To, to yes, serve Christ first, but to pour into a, a faithful a group of followers of Christ so that you can grow in your own faith and hopefully be inspired to then love others and pour into their lives. Um, I don't know if... Um, and that's what made Paul so joyful. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen Ackerman before for joy. Jesus, others, you. Uh, keep Jesus first. Live to glorify him. Serve others second. And put yourself last, and you'll be a joyful person. Reverse the order, you're going to be miserable. It's pretty easy to tell if it all becomes about you or is all about serving Jesus and others. We're last. We're last on the list. Now, let me boil this down to a single statement for this whole message. You're on your way to heaven. Until you get there, do something. <laughs> Be fruitful. Be fruitful. Serve God first. Pour into others next. And you're on your way to heaven saying it's going to be so much better. But if it's not God's will for you to go to heaven today, well, actually, I know that's not God's will heaven for you to go today because I see you all. But we're not guaranteed tonight or tomorrow. And so in the meantime, we are appointed to every man to live once, and then that will be our time to go see the Lord. But if we're not in heaven yet, God's still got something for you to do here on earth. So get involved in something, help someone grow in their faith, become a fruitful believer. And... Um, Hopefully this message was a blessing to you all with putting it together on short notice. Um, but hopefully it was an encouragement and uh, it will bring fruit into your life. If there is someone who is in need of prayers here this morning, you are welcome to come forward. And again, a reminder, Sister Elizabeth will be staying after service um, to pray with you if, um, if that's something that you're interested in. And please stand as we praise the one and only, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords as we stand and sing. Lord bless you all. Thank you.